Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. Now, for those of you that didn't get to experience 90s worship, it was really, it was really a memorable time. And that song, Draw Me Close to You, I remember being, uh, I, was just, I had a, like a flashback in the back. I remember being like, single boy, you know, I was at church, and I was like kind of like checking out the young co-eds, you know, and I'd see a young girl, you know, she'd be singing, draw me close to you, and I'd be like, me? You know, and just like totally creep people out at church, so. So, yeah, that's why we have confession. Tomorrow is the deadline to sign up for community groups, which we will be doing this October, focusing in on the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're going to spend four weeks, the sermons and in the study. It's an opportunity for you to learn a lot more about the Good Samaritan, more than you probably ever imagined. And we're going to look at it through the lens of what does it mean to flourish? What is God's vision for flourishing as individuals, as our church, and then contributing to the flourishing of human society. And I think the Good Samaritan has a lot to say. We've written a curriculum that we're gonna, these groups are going to study. So tomorrow is the last day to sign up. Go to roswellpress.org forward slash grow. You can sign up there. It's going to be a great, great time. Well, today we look again at the Lord's Prayer. And we've looked at all the, the topics and kind of areas of life that the Lord's Prayer covers Begins to say, not my will, but thy will. Talks about asking and praying for something like bread. Something as mundane as food. Bless you. It takes, it asks us to pray for, for forgiveness. What does it mean for us to extend forgiveness to others and to pray for forgiveness for ourselves? And today we're going to look at temptation. What does temptation mean? How can we recognize it? How can we resist it? How can we grow beyond it? Before we begin, we're going to pray, and at the conclusion, we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together. So let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for bringing each of us here. We ask that in the next few moments, you might be our teacher, that you might teach us about such a common experience in our lives as temptation. Help us to recognize it. Help us to resist it. Help us to live in a way that you've created and called us to live. So now we pray the prayer you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. <coughs> and our sermon today is going to look at three texts. I'm going to read um, our third one. It comes from Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46. This is on the last night of Jesus' life. Um, he's about to be arrested, and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane with some friends to pray. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and agitated. Then he said to them, I am deeply grieved even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. 
And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away for the second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When I bring up the topic of temptation, what comes to your mind? For me, uh, temptation, when I think about temptation, marketing and advertising comes to my mind. Especially I think about that great show, Mad Men. Has anyone ever seen that show? I think it's like 10 years old now, which is hard to believe. But it's a story about ad men living in New York City in the 50s, 60s, and 70s as marketing and advertising comes to cultural prominence. These men, and they were mostly men, trying to figure out how they can get potential consumers to spend money on their products. The protagonist of the show is a guy by the name of Don Draper. And Don Draper is a success professionally, but he's made a mess of his personal life. And so in season four, episode six, he kind of comes to a, a place and a moment in his life of self-reflection. He stops drinking so much. He begins to work out. He even starts to journal. At this one point, he goes over to see his pick up his boxes from his ex-wife's house and his kids don't even want to see him. And he's, so he's, he's kind of a mess. And he's living the life he always thought he wanted. And now he begins to reflect on it in his journal. And he writes this. We're flawed because we want so much more. We're ruined because we get these things and wish for what we had. Listen to that. We're flawed because we want so much more. We're ruined because we get these things and wish for what we had. Have you ever felt like that? I want all these things and, and then you get them and then they weigh you down and you wish you just had what you previously did. This is the nature of temptation. Making us want things we don't really want and then when we get them, they weigh us down, they they don't bring life to us. They don't bring us the flourishing we originally thought we wanted. A quick internet search of marketing and the word temptation brought up several, I thought, interesting ads. The first was for the BMW motorcycle. It has a picture of a stereotypical um, kind of road warrior on his motorcycle, and at the bottom it reads, even angels give in to temptation. There's another ad for Axe Cologne. 
Now, Axe Cologne, as far as I can tell, is marketed to middle school boys. And they need it. So there's nothing wrong with that. But there was this global marketing strategy they did. And it was, it, the slogan was, Axe, Dark Temptation. Axe, Dark Temptation. Interesting. The last one I found was for a vodka brand. And it had this green snake slithering around the bottle. And it read, the new taste of temptation. And are you just like, ooh, i got to get myself with that. Little snakes. I love snakes with my vodka. No. But that is the nature of temptation. To make us want things we maybe don't really want. And then I came across this Family Guy cartoon. There's a, a sign on the wall that says, do not press button. And then there's a button. And at the bottom it reads, do you really want to spend the rest of your life wondering? And isn't this the nature of temptation? It plays on our fears. It plays on our, our desires. Don't you want to just try it? Temptation tends to separate us from all of our other commitments, the other things we care about in our lives, our families, our communities, our goals. It tries to put blinders on so this is the only thing we can focus in on. And it distracts us from getting where we really, really want to go. And so Jesus instructs us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now this line got quite a bit of um, publicity a couple years ago after two, in a 2017 Italian television interview with Pope Francis. He says, I think we've mistranslated this line in the Lord's Prayer. And so where we read it, lead us not into, into temptation, he says we should translate it, do not let us fall into temptation. And what he's getting at here is a big, pretty theological problem. Does God lead us into temptation? Or are we praying to not fall into temptation ourselves, that we lead ourselves into it, praying for God to help us not do so? And rather than focusing in on seven lines or seven words in a line from a prayer, I think it's more helpful to kind of abstract back and think of the totality of the biblical witness when it comes to temptation. And it's really framed by three important stories. Two of them happen in gardens, and one happens in the desert. The first happens in Genesis 3. It's in the Garden of Eden, the man and the woman. It's what C.S. Lewis calls the one true myth. And it's a narrative description. It's a story telling us how did we get in this mess? How do we end up here? talks about conscience, right and wrong. Why did things go wrong in the world? You see, the man and the woman are put in the garden and they have everything for them. It's set before them, animals and vegetation. It's perfect. It's idyllic. It's Eden. Except God says, don't eat of that one tree. But they can't take their eyes off it. They can't take their eyes off the fruit on the tree. And so Genesis 3, 6 reads, So when the woman saw that the tree, and pay attention to this, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, 
that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Three things that appear to be good. Food, sustenance for life. But God said not to eat of this tree. You have plenty else to eat from. Oh, it's beautiful. It's a delight to the eyes. Sure, but that doesn't mean you need to eat from it. Look at all the other beautiful things that are in the garden. Oh, but it'll make you wise like God. And God says, no, no, let me handle the God part. You be my creatures. See, these all appear to be good things. Food, beauty, wisdom. They all appear to be good things, and they are. But misused and distorted, they're twisted into something bad. You see, we are rarely ever tempted by horrible, evil things. We're like, oh, that's horrible and evil. I'm not going to do that. We're tempted by good things. But we do or go after good things in the wrong way for the wrong reasons. And those wrong ways and wrong reasons turn something beautiful ugly. And they twist it. They distort it. This is the heart of temptation. We're rarely tempted by bad things. We're tempted by good things for the wrong reasons, wrong motivations. But this is kind of the inscrutability of the human will. Why do we do this? I'm sure if we went around and we got in a circle, we could share our great temptation stories of how we've given in to temptation, and later on we were like, what a knucklehead. We could do that. And one of the things I think that has always plagued us as Christians is why do we do the things we don't want to do? We think we're the first ones to ask this question. But a couple thousand years ago, there was a guy in the fourth century that powerfully asked and answered this question. His name was Augustine of Hippo. He became an African bishop in North Africa there. But he started out his life as kind of a rhetorician. He was a speaker, a public speaker. He was an ancient, what we might think of as a rock star. He had a live-in girlfriend for over 10 years. He, was, he would go out partying with his friends at night, stay up to all hours. And his mom was at her house, and she constantly prayed for him. Monica was her name. She prayed for him, and finally he came to profound faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And later in his life, when he got to about the age of 55, he began to look at his, back at his life. And he wrote the first autobiography that we have. And I've heard some philosophers call it the autobiography of the Western soul. And he wrestles with many of the problems we will wrestle with for the next 2,000 years. And he wrestles with this question. Why do we do? Why do we give in to temptation? And he looks back to when he was a young boy and he remembers this story that he was playing with some of his friends. And they were in the backyard and they looked over at their neighbor's vineyard. And their neighbor had pear trees. And he said they were unremarkable to the sight. They actually didn't even look like they tasted so good. But they were young boys, so they, they climbed the fence and they went over there. And Augustine, that young Augustine, took a pear and he bit into it and he ate it. And later in life, in his 50s, with the maturity and wisdom of an old man, he begins to look back and he says, why did I do this thing? I had my own pears at my own home. Why did I steal? They weren't that pretty. They weren't that delicious. They weren't that juicy. Why did I do it? And he says this. He says, the only reason I did it 
was because I derived pleasure from the deed simply because it was forbidden. I derived pleasure from the deed simply because it was forbidden. And for the rest of his life, this decision perplexed Augustine. And I'm sure all of us have our pair of stories how we've made decisions, given into temptation, and we're perplexed about why we did it. Why did we do it? And we derive pleasure from it simply being forbidden. Augustine reflects and he says, this is the nature of the human will. Sometimes we do things that are absurd. That are absurd. That don't make any sense. We have no good reason. But in the mystery of the human will, sometimes we do things we know we shouldn't. We give in to temptation. And that is the story that is told in Genesis 3. That is our predicament that we are born into. We're born into the world with dirty hands. That's the first story. The second story comes from the Synoptic Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All of them tell this story. It's a little differently told in each version. Jesus has just been baptized, and the Spirit sends him into the wilderness where he he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And then he's hungry, it says, and the devil comes to tempt him. Now, it shouldn't be, you shouldn't miss the fact that the Israelites in the Old Testament wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And so as a type of that, Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 years. And then the devil comes to tempt him. And we get one of the great temptation stories. Remember, he's been fasting, and so first the devil comes and says, Jesus, I know you're hungry. See these stones? Why don't you turn them into bread and then you can feed yourself? And Jesus resists the temptation. And then the devil takes him to a high point on the temple and says, why don't you throw yourself down? Have your angels come and rescue you. Everybody will see and then they will begin to worship you as the Messiah. Jesus resists the temptation. And then the third temptation The devil says, bow down and worship me here, and I will give you all of the kingdoms of the world, and they will be yours. And again, Jesus resists the temptation. Notice here that these are three good things. These are things that Jesus wants to achieve. Bread. He wants to rescue. He wants to be seen as king. He wants all power and authority. But he cannot take shortcuts. See, the temptations are for good things, but he cannot go about them in the wrong way for the wrong reasons. So he says, get behind me, Satan. And in these three temptations, we see the temptations that confront all of us. Stones into bread, this is possessions. Material wealth, the acquisition of more, as if more will make us happy. The second It's notoriety, it's fame, throw yourself off, all these people will see you. This is prestige. Oh, to become well-known as an end in itself. And then the third thing, if we have possessions, we have prestige, then we have power. We have, oh, all this will be yours. Just simply bow down and worship me. Oh, you will have power. And Jesus resists says, this is not God's way to where I need to go. I'm taking a very different route. I'm not taking the easy way. 
And in overcoming these temptations, Jesus reveals to us where the spiritual battle of our lives is to be fought. Around these three areas of possessions, prestige, and power. This is where it is to be, to be fought. Princeton, Princeton Seminary professor Diogenes Allen wrote a really great book on this story called Temptation. And he says this, Genuine religion begins by revealing to us that Christ is the answer, not in the sense of lifting all our troubles from us, but in directing us to the place where the right battles are to be fought. He reveals to us where we should be struggling. He does not magically remove us from all strife, but shows us which specific struggles will lead us into a haven or a resting place. Jesus shows us where the battle is to be fought over possessions and prestige and power and resisting these so that we might step into becoming the people that he's created and called us to be. That's the second story. The third story is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane that I read before the sermon. Jesus prays, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. And we see in this prayer that Jesus says, I know I could take a shortcut, but I know I am called to go to the cross, not my will, but thy will. And in subordinating his desires, his wants, his needs, he opens up grace and forgiveness by overcoming temptation that frees us when we fall to it to receive God's grace and forgiveness, to rise up again and fight it again, in the spiritual battles of our lives. We see him in the garden wrestling with, will I give in to temptation? Take this cup from me if you would, but not my will, thy will. If you want me to go this road, I will go and walk down this path for the betterment of your beloved creation. And this is the nature of temptation. It's inscrutability from the beginning. The three areas that it plagues us in our lives with the freedom and grace we receive because of Jesus' overcoming of it, ultimately on the cross and the resurrection to new life. But this, and these temptations can afflict us in so many areas. It's like we can't even see them. They're all around us. I want to conclude with a personal story that happened a number of years ago, long before I ever came to RPC. I was looking for, um, you know, I wanted to become a senior pastor, and so I was looking at various jobs, and I was invited up to the Northeast to interview at a church. And this church was an affluent church, an affluent area, and so they flew me up. And the people were really lovely, really gracious, great physical uh, plant, great church, plenty of resources, really wonderful. And they said that morning after I'd stayed the night, the next morning they said, wait until you see the manse. Now, you may not know this, but a manse is kind of a historic thing with churches in North America where oftentimes in affluent areas, pastors can't afford to have housing where, where they serve. And so a church would buy a house called a manse where the pastor and his or her family could live while he's or she is serving the church. And so they take me to this manse, and this was a manse. Oh, I walk in, it had vaulted ceilings, five bedrooms, four baths, all had been redone. Kitchen had been redone, new paint, and it was two blocks from the beach. I was like, this is amazing. 
And I had this vision. I could see myself there. I could see having a family there. I could see walking to the beach and walking back and sitting on the porch and people walking by and saying, look at that beautiful manse. And I would just kind of wave smugly. And so then that morning, Courtney calls me. She says, Jeff, how's the church? You know, the fate of the, our lives lies in that visit there. And so she says, Jeff, how's the church? And I said, you got to hear about this manse. It's got vaulted ceilings. It's got five bathrooms, or four, five ba- bedrooms, four bathrooms, all been remade. It's two blocks from the beach. You wouldn't believe it. And she said, Ahem. I asked about the church. And all of a sudden, my eyes were opened, and I said, what am I doing? I have just totally focused in on this manse. This is a temptation trifecta. Material wealth, possessions, oh, look at all this I'm going to have. Prestige, oh, look at all these people are going to see me on the beach sunbathing. Oh, there's a new pastor. Awkward. Yeah. Look at the power. You know, he, you know, I just had these delusions. And all of a sudden I said, this would be terrible. This for them and for me to do it for this reason. Now, I know some of you are like, man, I wish you would have given in to temptation. <laughs> but isn't this the, the way our lives are? That we have distorted pictures of the future of our lives, persuaded by possessions, material wealth, and fame, and power, wanting more. And then in wanting more, it destroys what we really care about prevents us from going in the direction we really want. And so Jesus, in overcoming those temptations in the desert, shows us where the spiritual battle is to take place. And then his victory in Gethsemane, when we fail and fall to temptation, we simply have to turn and receive God's grace and God's love, get on our feet, and go to the battle again. That's good news. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for your victory that you have overcome for us in Jesus Christ. And so when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I pray that it might wake us up to how we are tempted in our lives and that we might be set free to overcome them, to live the lives we really want, we really care about, that will really offer lasting significance. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.